Hello and welcome to the Planet Coach podcast. My name is Jordan Catterall. I am the founder of Planet Coach and the host of the Planet Coach podcast. This is our first ever podcast episode. It's been a long time coming, but we're finally here with our very own podcast. Hopefully you'll find this episode and future episodes useful. And this podcast will be of use to many coaches around the world. At Planet Coach, our aim is to help football coaches coach football. We do this by providing a membership option on our website where you can sign up and gain access to all of our content. We currently provide hundreds of coaches with ready-made session plans to save them time planning their weekly training sessions. All of our plans are detailed, come with an animation video made with tactical pad and include coaching points. If you'd like to know more about our membership option, you can find more information on our website, which is www.planetcoach.co.uk. I hope you enjoyed the episode and thank you very much for listening. Today, I am joined by Ash Moreau. Ash is an academy coach at Fleetwood Town Football Club. He also works full-time in the community department at Fleetwood Town Community Trust and has a wealth of experience in coaching football alongside other sports. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Ash. How are you, mate? Thanks, George. Yeah, not bad. Uh, pleasure to be here, mate. Uh, and looking forward to hopefully um, sharing my experiences with you uh, and those that are listening um, and hopefully give out some of those little golden nuggets um, for coaches out there. Good stuff, good stuff. So first of all, then, I know I've already done a brief intro for you, Ash, but can you introduce yourself properly? Can you tell us a bit about your background, where you started in your coaching journey and where you are now? Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, I'm Ash Rowe. Uh, I'm currently working at Fleetwood Town Community Trust. Alongside that, working at the academy there as well. Um, so going all the way back um, in terms of my education, um, I went to St. Mary's in Blackpool. Um, then went on there, I went to the sixth form there study sport there and then following on from that I then went to UCLan. Um, UCLan I then did a sports coaching degree there um, had a great time and met some really good people at UCLan that helped me improve my knowledge um, helped me kind of get out into the industry and get some experience. Uh, when I was at UCLan then I was fortunate enough to go to America so I spent some time out there in the summer working for Challenger Sports in Texas that gave me a great, re- really, really good understanding of what it's like to work in a different environment, to work with different cultures and really develop my people skills. Um, coming back from that, I then managed to get a job um, part-time at Fleetwood Town Community Trust. I also then worked as well on an internship as a performance analysis at Blackpool at the academy there. Um, merging the two into one. I, I got the opportunity to go into schools, work with kids in schools, and then I got the opportunity to go to, to Blackpool and work with the academy there, which gave me some, some great knowledge. Following on from that, I left university. Um, fortunate enough, th- through hard work, I managed to, to leave with a first-class degree, then went straight into full-time work at Fleetwood as a PE in school sport activator. When I was there, um, I was I was fortunate enough to get offered a role within Fleetwood's Academy when they were going from Category 4 to Category 3. At this stage, I was probably only around 18. I was 18, 19. So just going through my badges. And then from there, I've just, I've just worked my way up. So I've, I've been there four years now. 
um, both in the community department. So currently my role at the community department is primary and secondary education manager. So I oversee all the primary school and secondary delivery and coordination. And then I'm currently an under 12s coach uh, in the YDP phase at the academy. So yeah, that's long story short, that's me. Uh, and, and that's where I'm currently at and some experience I've had previously to get me to where I am now. Cool, good stuff. So you've got a real kind of breadth of uh, depth of um, knowledge and and kind of experience within coaching in different departments there. Um, just a quick question on that. Have you had any experience in coaching? Yeah, so sorry, I, I, I've missed that. Yeah, so um, when I came back from America, um, I joined... I joined a grassroots club. I worked at the under six, 15s and 16s there. Uh, my brother was playing there at the same time. Um, so so I, I got involved on a voluntary basis, started coaching there. I ended up doing two seasons there, which was really, really good for me to, to get me out and, and get me an understanding of what coaching actually looks like rather than just the academic side that, that I did at university. Um, and then following on from that last season, I worked at AFC Blackpool as a as a first team coach, so I spent some time there working in the the first team team department. So I, I've gone from grassroots, um, worked in academy football where I'm currently at, and also first team men's football um, in the northwest counties. So yeah, hopefully that's uh, well. I definitely feel that's given me a, a lot of experience and, and knowledge. Um, a, a broad range of experiences, really, across the whole spectrum, um, which has helped me to where I am right now, currently. Yeah, definitely. So what what do you feel, then, are the main differences that you have found in coaching grassroots football compared to the academy football you're doing at Fleetwood? Yeah, so, so the first thing I'll say is that I think there's, a, there's more similarities than there is differences. Um, the most important thing for me is that the kids want to come to you. And, and the kids enjoy being there and yeah. they, they want to be there, they want to learn and they keep coming back. I think, first of all, that's the most important thing, whether that is grassroots football or whether that's academy football. Um, that That's, for me, a, a similarity that runs across the board. Kids have got to love what they do um, and they've got, they've got to love coming to you. Um, in terms of differences, I'd probably say as you're working towards academy football, you're looking at more around the tactical side of the game. You're looking at around different phases of the long-term athlete development plan. So you're looking at you're looking at learning how to win as you get higher up in terms of your YDP phase. Although I imagine that's still drip-fed drip into kids in the grassroots game. Um, in terms of other differences, you, you're probably working with children that have different abilities. So in terms of grassroots, it might be kids that have just started the game. The, the, they just want to get involved, they want to play with their friends and then your academy is where you, you're looking towards kids getting selected, getting brought in through a talent ID system and they're looking to really develop and hone in, home in on those skills and attributes to try and get them through into the PDP phase or whether that's into long, long, long term, uh, prof the professional game. Um, but for, for me, a bit, the big thing is, obviously, I know the question was around differences, but there is so much similarities in terms of coaching, um, in terms of the kids wanting to be there, in terms of developing technical, tactical um, ability of kids. And um, I'm sure you've experienced the same, but 
something that I found and, and I know we'll, we'll probably touch on later in terms of the social and psychological side of the game that that's super important that sometimes gets neglected by by myself included um, and coaches working in both the grassroots and and academy game um, where kids obviously I've touched on in terms of wanting to be there but in terms of confidence levels be able to deal with resilience setbacks communication collaboration all these things that are real really important life skills uh, that kids have got that we've got to try and implement into kids so that the they have a great experience of playing the game yeah brilliant so just touching on that then with the uh, kids wanting to be there and that love of the game and the engagement from kids from grassroots to academy football how as a coach can we kind of implement that love of the game and for them wanting to come back to our sessions and yeah to be able to apply those um skills that you just touched yeah, on. yeah definitely so you've got to be enthusiastic you've got to want to be there as well as the kids as soon as the kids turn up if you're there and you've got a presence that you really want to be there and you you love being there and you love coaching them and you love working with them then that'll that'll feed off to the kids as well so i think enthusiasm is a big big one and again whether that's whether that's grassroots all the way uh, under sixes, under sevens, through to academy football, through to men's football, um, you've got to have that enthusiasm and the love for the game. And and I promise you, right, from my experiences, it, it really does rub off on the kids. Um, yeah. In terms of then what what we can then do, well, in terms of practices, we've got to make it look as real to the game as possible. Kids love playing games, and I'm sure, again, I'm sure you've heard the same. Kids turn up and they say, the first thing they ask is, when are we playing a game? When are we playing a yeah. game? Um, yeah. Can we play a game now? Um, so in terms of us as coaches, we've got to make our practices as real to the game as possible. So just something I picked up on through 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 my time in coaching, that my starter activity now, it, it might be a game. So while I'm setting up and you might be working in the grassroots game, you might be working on your own, you might be working with a parent that's helping you out. So while you're setting up your, your session or your activities or practices, you, you can let the kids get on with the game as long as it obviously as long as it's safe and, the, and there's somebody overseeing that. Um, and, and then that kind of as soon as you get that right, we're playing a game. Uh, and already you've, you've got the attention of the kids. Um, and they're doing what they want to do. So then it, yeah. your reward system or whether it's at the end of the session, you're going to play a game again. Right, we've played a game at the start. We're then going to look at our what, whatever it is, whatever your topic is for your session. Right, and then we're going to put that into practice again at the end. Um, but a big thing from that as coaches, we've got to make it look as real to the game as we can. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. that Starting off with a game is always a... A massive buy-in for for kids and and adults alike to get to get involved and engaged within the sessions. Definitely, so, yeah, that's good. So moving on, then, what key differences have you found working both within the kind of younger age group? I know you you visit primary schools or you used to visit primary schools during your day job. Yeah. Uh, working with the foundation phase type of player, um, going then to the youth development phase, the slightly older player. What are the key differences? Yes. Yeah. So. Is- Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna to touch on a similarity. If that's okay, first um, we've got to love the ball. 
loving the ball is so important. So if you're looking at foundation for face players, they've, they've got to develop a love for the ball, a love for being on the ball, um, a love for wanting to, to try and get on the ball and find ways to get on the ball. Um, so, so that might look like lots of at foundation phase as coaches, it might look like, right, my practice is going to be designed around a lot of ball manipulation, a lot of 1v1s, 2v2s, getting children as many touches on the ball as we can. Um, the, the, the physical side of the game comes into it a lot at, at the uh, foundation phase for me. So looking at movement patterns, so looking at how kids move, how they can dodge, weave, how they can change direction. Um, this links to not only the grassroots game, um, the academy game, but also in school settings. So uh, ar- around the national curriculum, looking at how ki- we can develop kids so they're able to competently move, how they're able to, to attack and defend and get past people. So m- movement patterns and f- physical development, physical is a, is a big one for me at the foundation phase. Um and then, for me, I, I love a player that can excite me. Um, so I want I want to put players in situations where they have as much opportunities as as possible to excite and kind of get get your bums on seats moments really, um, where you look at a kid and they're in a one v one game or a two v two or a two v one game, whatever that looks like, and you see a kid do something that that you might not have seen if you play in a a six v six game. So they might not have the opportunity to do that because they might not have, have the chance or they might not be on the ball as often. So I think that's that's super important. And then developing through to your YDP phase. So, yeah, you've got to still have the, the love for the ball uh, and you've got to find ways to try and get yourself on the ball and influence the game. But then you're looking at more your, your tactical side of the game. So you, you're implementing your, your formations, your systems, as you get older to the top end of the YDP phase, you're looking at the 11 v 11 game. So they've got to understand, yes, what I do on the ball. So whether that's passing, shooting, dribbling, um, it, it might might end up be t- being tackling. Uh, what what I do in transition, so what looks like that like for me, what it looks like for the person on the ball, what it looks like for the people around me. Uh, and then out of possession. So they've got to have, I think as you get more to the YDP phase, they've got set or players have set roles and responsibilities in um, positional understanding. So if you're looking at the the transition from foundation phase and YDP phase, I'd say for coaches um, in the grassroots game, and I've learned this as well, you want kids to play as many positions as possible. Um, so I, we're not going to pinhole pigeonhole kids right, you're going to be a striker because you have these certain attributes now. We want to develop We want to develop them holistically and give them a real good game understanding so, so when they do get to that YDP phase, that they understand the game. I think I think that's really important for me that, that they understand the game in, out and transition and what that looks like for them. Um, but a big encouragement for me for grassroots coaches would be explore and let kids play in a variety of positions because you, you'll be surprised what you find. Yeah, definitely. And it's amazing how many coaches uh, don't actually do that and maybe coaching under sevens group and, and, and have a player play in the same position for a full year or however long they've got the kid for. So, yeah, that's that's something to think about. Um, but in regards to those set positions um, and you are moving up the age groups into the youth development phase, 
when would you say it's right to kind of pigeonhole that player and say, right, this is now your position, this is what you need to work on in terms of roles and responsibilities? At what age does that come Yeah, great say? question. Um, well, I've, I've worked it now. I've worked at 11s and 12s now for the past, for the past two seasons. Um, and I'm still at the stage where I want, I want kids to, or I want the players that I'm working with to, to play in different positions. I'd probably say when you get to around the, the 13, 14 stage, that's where you really start honing in, honing in on them. Um, I'd say, pri- I'd call them primary positions. So where, the, where that player is primarily best, but then I'd also make sure that where possible that player can have a secondary position. So whether that's a um, whether that's the centre half being able to step into holding midfield, um, a forward being able to play out wide, because as you get to the top end of the the YDP phase and you start going into under 18s football, you start going into men's football. Um, as players, you're going to be expected to play in different positions, and you're gonna you're gonna be expected to understand the game when playing in them positions. So I think it's key. Yes, it probably. I'd probably say around under under fourteens, but again, that for me, Jordan, that depends on the players that you've got available to you, um, and it depends on the group that you've got. So, yeah, under fourteens, but I'd say definitely, definitely top end fourteens, fifteens, sixteens, because you you want to be able to really get them key roles and responsibilities as you as an individual playing in that position, um, and then. You've got to have a secondary position for me. Got to because it makes you one more versatile, uh, two more more likely to get selected by managers if you're able to play in a second position. And there might be someone that's that's more developed or in a better position than you right now. Um, so you you've got to be able to have that, and you've got to be able to know how to play the game in that position. Um, if that answers your question, yeah, definitely. Um, so. Yeah, next question then is how can you get the best out of your group of players? So let's say you're you're working with your academy side. The first day you went in, the first day you you put on a session, how do you personally try to get the best out of that group? Um, And what kind of things do you need to implement to do that? Um, So first of all, I'd say you've got to, if if you're going in fresh um, and, and you don't know them players, you've got to find a way of building relationships. So how you do that, you, you've got to you've got to kind of spend time with that individual. You've got to know their interests. You've got to know what what makes them tick. You've got to know what what they enjoy. Um, so if I know I'm working with a player um, that that loves playing under pressure, that loves being in opposed situations, and that's how they develop best. Well, I've got to then balance my unopposed work with them. My my shadow play with them, uh, my my technical passing practices with them, and I've got to try and implement them practices that get the best out of them players. So I think knowing your players is is for me one of the most important things, or if not the most important thing. You you've got to understand you've got to understand that individual. So not you, yeah, you have to understand your group, but knowing what each individual what their characteristics are within that group helps you to then paint a bigger picture of, of what them sessions might look like, how you act, what that might look like, and their development going forward, what that might look like. Um, so knowing your players, you've got to spend time. You've got to spend time. 
Um, and for me, a big thing is setting standards. Um, so when you come in as a coach, and, I, and I'm not saying it's uh, go in and we've got a rule book, and you, and you go, you, you do this, you don't do that, you do this. You, that's, pre- that's pretty flexible. So me going in, I'd, I'd want to be clear with my standards. So um, just sharing what, what I look for when, when I go in and I'm working with a group. First of all, you've got to be hardworking. You've got to work hard uh, and you've got to try and be hardworking when, when you're playing a game. You've got to be hardworking or work harder than the, the person that you're up against the other team that you're up against. You've got to work harder than them. Um, the, the second thing I, love, I look for uh, is that I want players that want to, want to be there and they want to learn. So uh, uh, that's the skill of me, what I, can, what I can put on. So what practices I can develop to make sure that they are, that they are there and they're engaged and they want to learn. Because um, if they learn, if, if they're wanting to learn, they'll more likely pick up things, whether that's week by week, month by month, and we'll start to see some development. Um, and then the third thing, and I've I've probably I've probably only just started implementing this, um, but I want I want to start developing leaders. So, and and that's sometimes it's really difficult to identify who them individuals might be. So, in terms of my coaching journey, a lot of my a lot of my delivery was coach-led. It was me telling players to do this, to do that, to do to do this. Whereas now, um, and you'll be surprised by this, and coaches will, will be surprised if they try it, just, just giving players that freedom, that ownership, and that responsibility, it, it's brilliant to see them, them leaders that come out of that. The, the are the ones that will set up practices that all the ones that will create and lead practices so as a coach it takes takes a big stress off you and that's not me sat here saying well coaches you don't have to do anything put it all on the players it, it's yeah it, it's, yeah definitely <laughs> but it's going to have to be it's going to have to be guided by you especially working with the younger age groups um you you've got to make sure that there's a purpose to it, but you'll be amazed to see what players take on what responsibilities, and not not only that in terms of developing leaders on the pitch, but if if we look at the percentages of players that get through all the way to the professional game, how slim it is. You want to develop life skills for players, so and leadership and responsibility and their ability to communicate with each other that they're key life skills. That, that you don't not only need in football, but you need to be able to, to work in life and, and to go into a working environment. So that's something that I've put a real... Um, I'd probably say over the last 18 months, and I've definitely seen some changes in my players. Um, just, just on that as well, a big one for me is I've worked with... So I've worked with the, the under-12s, and a big transition... For, for my groups have been that they've gone from primary to secondary school. So that's probably one of, yeah. if not the biggest change um, in a child's education. Uh, the transition yeah, to, to go in, some kids go into a school where there's only 50, 60 kids and they might be, they might be the best footballer, they might be the most popular kid. 
to then go to a high school where you've got hundreds and hundreds of, of kids and you you turn into kind of a little fish in a big pond, really. So you, you've yeah. got to try and develop you you've got to try and develop them them key skills so that they don't get lost in transition, if that makes sense. So that when they go when yeah. they go to high school, it's kind of oh, I feel a bit more pressure. There's a lot more people around me. I'm, I'm not. I might not be as popular in school. Um, I might not be the best footballer in, in my year group. So it's making sure that, that when they come to you, you still place a place a real ownership on, on them to develop them them key skills that will take them through life. Yeah, that's brilliant. So developing the individual rather than just the the player. Um, I love that. Um, I also love how you've you mentioned about um, maybe giving the the players a bit more um, authority to to kind of lead sessions and put on their own yeah. practices. Um, I've, I've done this in the past. Um, I might have just turned up to a training session and, and told a group of players they've got X amount of corns, X amount of balls, and some bibs to to put on their own practice. And it is really fascinating just to to watch, sit back and watch, and and see who the real leaders are and. Um, who's who's shying away from certain tasks and and how they put together a practice and most of the time I have been I have been shocked in terms of what the kids have managed to come up with and put on for themselves so yeah really like that idea um, yeah and I think yeah it's developing social skills and and developing the individual is definitely definitely so if you well. just on that as well if you look at so, so if we, we take the four corner model for example, and where we where we place most of our focus, uh, whether that's in a in a school setting delivering del- delivering physical education, or whether that's on, on the grass on a training night, um, we probably look its way towards your your technical your technical tactical. Um, so. I, I, I wouldn't like to say a split percentage, but in terms of your social skills and your psychological, um, it's a real key skill as a coach to try and get them out. Um, so just just a couple of things for, for coaches that might be listening on how you might be able to do that. Um, yours was in terms of how many balls, how many cones, how many bibs you get, devise your own game. Um, it might be the right during drinks breaks someone takes a lead what have we done well what do we need to get better at um, how might we beat our opponents in this next game it might be and this is something that that I've tried most recently with a couple of injured players right you're gonna you're gonna manage one team I'm gonna manage the other and we're, we're gonna try and play against each other um, so, so there's that okay, so yeah. you're still keeping them engaged. It might be things like um, if you've got a tactics board available for you, it might be right. We're gonna as as a group of players, we're gonna set our learning learning outcomes. What what we intend to get out of the session, we're gonna set them tonight on the board, and then it's up to us to then how we develop um, them practices for the kids. So it might be um, we're gonna look to develop um, tricks to beat play, players in a one v one. So us as the coach then, can we think of a game uh, or even the players think of a game that, that tries to get that, that intended outcome out of the session? Um, but one thing, I, one thing I would say to coaches is I've just given you four or five examples there of what you might do. Um, I'd say to coaches, be brave. 
be brave. So don't think that, well, this this is what I'm here for. This is why I'm in the job. This is what I'm potentially I might be getting paid for. Um, because actually, there's some real there's some real good reasoning behind why you're doing that. So I'd I'd be brave. I'd yeah. be brave as coaches, and I'd encourage coaches to do that. Uh, and you'll reap reap the rewards from the kids. Definitely, yeah, and and some great ideas most times from the kids themselves as well. So something to take yeah. take advantage of there. But moving on then, so you you did mention building relationships is is one of the first things you try to do with a new yeah. group. Um, but to you, what does that relationship look like? Um, and I know you've already touched on how important is it. So the, the, the next question I'm going to pose to you is um, what would that first session look like? If you're trying to build yeah. those relationships, your first training session, you, you walk in with a new group. What does um, that look like? Well, first of all, I, I, I'd hope that I'd hope that we're there early enough so we, we can, we can have a chat with, with the group as a whole. Um, so I, what, what I definitely want to do is a first time session. I wouldn't just turn up and, and then get on the grass. I'd make sure that I've got a little bit of time beforehand um, to have a chat with them. What that chat might look like is what we kind of discussed before. Um, my expectations from the group, uh, what the group expect from me, um, how we're gonna, how we're gonna get to where we want to get to as as a coach, as a group, as a whole, and as an individual. Um, and then I'd probably ask them. Or, or I would ask them to set out some objectives and some milestones. So whether that's short, medium, long-term goals, and where is a group and as an individual you want to get to. Um, and then on that, it, it's really important that they're constantly reviewed. So we're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, um, that we put some goals in place that we can work towards. Uh, measurable goals as well, measurable goals. Um, and then they're kind of things that, that we can measure against throughout the, the season or, or the year. So that's probably the, that, that's the first thing that I do. And then in terms of getting out on the grass, I think the first session, um, I'm thinking more now, George, towards, if I'm looking at foundation phase, so if we take foundation phase first, um, there'd be a lot of multi-directional activities um, to start with as, as kind of a warm-up activity. Um I say as a as a warm up or a starter activity because I want it to look as as real to the game as I can. So a lot of my practices will be directional practices. Um, but in terms of getting them started, I, I want to see how they interact with each other. I want to see how they move. So it might be things at foundation phase. It might be things like tigging games. Um, it might be things like where they've got to try and they've got to try and get away from a player to get into an end zone. It might be the they play a 2v1 or a 2v2 or a 1v1 line ball game. It might look something like that. Just so I can then, I can see what, in them games, you'll see what their attitude's like. Well, if if I if you keep getting tigged um, or keep getting tagged by someone, what's my attitude like then? Do I give up? Do I keep going? Do I try even harder? Do I be creative and try different things? So what that might look like. And then as your session progresses especially in your first session I, I want to see what what that looks like on the ball so I do I probably do some opposed games and attack v defense game 
with my practices uh, and where I'm at now, I want them to look as much like the game as possible and I want goals in where possible. Um, especially, I say especially, but at foundation phase, kids love scoring goals. They, they, they want to score goals. Yeah. Um, so at foundation phase, I'd want, I want, I'd want the goals in. I'd want it to look as much like a game. So I'd probably do, I'd probably do an attack v defense game. So it might be, it might be a one v one into a two v one into a two v two into a three v three. It might be straight away. It might be a two v two game. You might have three pitches going on. Um, a game that I still use regularly. I, I have. However many pitches depend on the players I've got. I'm going to play a 2v2 game into into goals. Um, we're going to have the end pitch that's going to be League 2, top pitch that's going to be the Premier League. Winners got to get to the Premier League. Um, great for kids. Um, constantly playing. Drive-bys by coaches. Um, very little stops and still, so they've got maximum ball rolling time. And then at the end, I'd, I'd, I'd look at a small-sided game. I'd look at a small-sided game. So what that looks like, where players, it's interesting to see where players drift towards, especially if you don't know them, in terms of positional sense. And then it's good for you as a coach to get an understanding, right, well, why, why is he moving there? Um, what, what's his attributes? Uh, is, it, is it because stereotypically he's going, to move to the, he's going to move to the back because he's a bigger lad? He might go up front because he's a big lad and he, he can overpower players. Um, and I think, again, that's that's the skill of a coach to be able to understand well, why the, why are they doing what they're doing? What's the thought process behind that? Um, so that's probably what a, what a first session would look like, what that would look like to me. Um, it gives you lots of opportunity to observe, gives you lots of opportunity to do drive-by coaching and actually get to know the players. And then it, it gets it gets you to understand what that looks like in a game for them. Um, so th- that's that's what yeah. a first session would look like. Uh, what first session would look like, George? But I think in terms of general, so in terms of building that relationship for the long term, it's really important that you have regular communication uh, with with the individual. So one thing that I do every single time, so our players come three nights a week um, and once on a Sunday, little things like, how was your school day today? Um, what was the best thing about going to school today? How's home been? What, what have you been up to? What did you do last weekend? Who have you been spending time with? Little things like that, that, you can, that can spark a conversation. So um, a big one for us right now in our group is that we, we all know which team which team we support so when the football was going on um unfortunately we're at where we're at with the football at the moment but when the football was going on it'd be a running joke between the lads so we'd have some united fans we'd have some city fans that had just lost out the, or potentially lost out the title to city and then you'd have some we've, we've got a few preston north end fans that are in and out of the playoffs um so that that was and that was just from me having a conversation with them that I knew their interests and what they did on a, on a Saturday, what they did after a game on a Sunday. So I think that, that communication is, is so important. Um, and it breaks down barriers. Sometimes if you get shy kids um, or kids that aren't very good communicators, you struggle to get things out of them. So by doing little things like that, um, it, it, it goes a long way and it really shows to the, to the kids that you do care. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, with 
staying on that topic then, why, I know you've mentioned that it is important, but why, why do you feel that it is so important to build that positive relationship and, and that yeah. communication with players? Why is that yeah. such an so, important thing well, to do? Well, first of all, the, the, developer, the development and the, the learning process for the kid um, got to be, has got to be so, so they can learn, so they can develop. So you've got to create a positive learning environment for them. Um, and I touched on it right at the start. You, you, they've got to want to come to training. And if if you build that relationship to them where they're, they're comfortable and they want to come to training, then you'll you'll see the rewards of that individual developing. Uh, if they come to training and they're, they're not interested, um, they show a lack of care, really, then... You, you you're kind of fighting against them and they're not getting the most out of out of the sessions out of the games and you're not getting the most out of of them as a as an individual because you might spend most of your time trying to deal with them um i think this positive learning environment like the the fluffy words what what that looks like um as i've touched on the they, they want to or they have to want to be there um, but for some kids as well, it's a it's a chance to have a little bit of freedom. Um, it's a chance to come somewhere that they might not get the opportunity to have fun, whether that's um, due to the home life, whether that's um, due to them finding it difficult at, at school. So it's a chance for them to come somewhere that where they feel safe, where they feel valued. And where they can where they can develop in something that they that they enjoy doing, and I think that that's for coaches that should be that should be one of if not the most most important thing for us, because um, when we take when we take these kids into our care, you're you're the person they look up to, and you're the person that they see as a role model. Um, you might be the only male figure in that person's life. So you've got to, or you have the responsibility, I think, as a coach, um, and it's much more than a coach, but you have that responsibility to make that child feel valued and give them an opportunity to learn um, to learn the best that they can. Uh, and wherever that might Wherever that might take that child, that child, whether that into full-time football, into the academy game, or just continuing playing grassroots football, um, we've got to give kids them opportunities um, to to learn really um, and enjoy being there. Definitely, and as as you touched on uh, previously. Uh, they're not going to learn without that buy-in. If if they don't feel safe and they don't feel yeah. at home uh, with you, and they don't have a certain respect for you, then you're not going to be able to um, yeah. teach them anything or, or help and them learn. I think, Jude. I think so, as coaches, um, yeah. we're a lot more than just coaches, aren't we? We're um, we're sometimes yeah. that 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 shoulder to cry on for kids uh, when they need support. We're that mentor. We're were that 
that person with that role model that they look up to were, were sometimes that friend that that they can have a laugh and a, a joke with. Um, so we're much more than just putting yeah. boots on and getting out on the grass and and kicking a ball around. Um, we're much more than that to that individual. So in terms of the question, like the question you asked before around um, how can you get the best how you how you can get the best out of them players by putting all them things in place where that player feels um feels secure and feels like they want to be there and they want to learn that's that's how you get the best out of them and that's how you you see them develop and honestly kids are kids are amazing <laughs> they're amazing things uh, and they do things that they do things that sometimes unless you give them the opportunity to uh, you won't see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, moving on then, um, how can you, as obviously working in an academy environment, um, you've obviously got kids coming in on trial or kids just yeah. starting their academy journey with you. Um, how do you kind of try and manage that um, transition from? a player maybe playing in grassroots football to then coming and being on trial at an academy and then to eventually signing yeah. uh, um, your academy age So group. the thing is they've, they've got to feel welcome. That that kid coming in, um, it's such a, and I know from my own experiences, it's such a daunting thing where you, you're coming from grassroots where there might already be some prejudgment from players, which which for me the absolutely should not be. Um, you might be coming in to an environment where you might have played against certain players previously in grassroots football. So the first thing is you've got to make that that person feel welcome. So something that we have in in, in place, we have a buddy system. So as soon as that player comes in on trial, they're buddied up with somebody, um, somebody that they might either know know of, uh, played against. Um, and if there's not any of them things, we buddy them up with somebody that we feel will will provide them with the best support and care while while they're there. Um, so that that for me is key to make that that trialist or that person coming in into the group feel as as welcome um, as they can, so they feel a little bit more comfortable. And then throughout throughout the process, um, the, there's there's certain things. There's certain things that you look for, um, and we we won't be the only academy. You'll have all the academies across the world. They'll have a certain DNA and, and a type of player that that they want that they're looking for in terms of in terms of a position. So th- there'll be certain things that depend on where the player plays that you'll be looking for certain attributes. Um, a key one for me is how they integrate within the group. Um, and also looking at the groups that I've currently got, how they make that person that's coming in on trial feel, because uh, that also tells you a lot about about the group or the individuals that you've got. So once they're then, yeah, once they're then in, um, looking for certain attributes, you you've got to you've got to get that information off if it's the recruitment team that have brought them in. If it's um, if it's a scout that goes out and watch grassroots games, um, you've got to get that information about that player. So, I I I know from my own experience. Previously, I've had I've had trialists come in and I don't know anything about them, 
and I've I've had to. Um, in one way, it's good because you've got to have that communication with the player. But if I already have that previous knowledge from the scouts or the recruitment department, um, then I I can already um, put that player in in certain areas or into certain practices to help them show exactly what they've got. Um, and then moving forward, over while they're in on trial, you've you've got to have constant reviews. You've got to have constant communication. You want the the child and the parents to feel in the loop with everything uh, and understand what's going on. And it's got to be, it's got to be a transparent process where um, the coaches, the club, the parents, the kids were as honest with each other, um, were as honest with each other as we can be. So when, whenever a decision does get made, whether that's a positive one or, or an unfortunate one um, for, for the kid, then it's not that it doesn't come as a shock to them, but the messages that that has been given by the club and the coaches, um, it's it's consistent, and I think consistent's the the big word. Um, and then I think by the end of the trial, if they if they are if they are able to to come into the group, um, and they they sign, um, then for for the trial period for the last eight weeks, that hopefully that the group and the individuals within the group have made that person feel welcome and, and that trialist has, has done what they need to do to, to get into that environment. Um, in terms of in terms of qualities um, from grassroots football to um, to academy football, something that, that that there's a gap and I, I expect there to be a gap. Is when kids are coming in, um, their understanding around the game, so the positional understanding, the recognition of, of when to make decisions and what decisions to make. Um, that's that's the biggest gap for me. Uh, and depending on where they've been and what support they've had previously at grassroots clubs, that might depend on the the their technical ability. But usually, when they come in, um, it's been because something stood out. Um, and they've got a key strength, whether that's that is a technical ability or a or a physical ability. Definitely, yeah. So you mentioned there about um, looking at how players integrate with each other, both the trialist with your yeah. group, and then your group with the trialist. Um, let's say, for instance, you've got a, a player uh, mustard absolutely well, doesn't integrate well with your group. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so you've um, and that's something that that's something that that we've had before. Um, so I've I've got a little bit of experience around that. Um, again, it goes back to knowing knowing the individual and knowing the players. Um, so you've got to find out why why that's the case. Um, so and I, I think that's uh, not the only way, but but a key way that can be done is a, a communication and a conversation between that player. So. What, what they like about what what's going on here, what's going on at the club, what's going on at the academy, what what they might not like, what what differences they might like to see, um, and again that regular communication, that regular communication with parents. Um, sometimes the the environment, the pressure, the travel, um, the the constant the constant kind of three nights a week, a weekend. It might not be for some. For some parents, some families, some kids, it might not be for them. Um, 
and and that yeah. again is is completely I'm completely understandable. I'm not sat here saying that uh, every kid should should want to to go into academy football. For some, it's it's about the love of the game and playing with the friends, and that's absolutely brilliant. Um, but I think yeah. I, I think if that com- clear communication doesn't happen between the coach, between the player, between the parents, um, and between the the phase lead. Um, then that's when we kind of come to a, a sticky situation or a sticky patch, if you will. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going again. It's going back to that that first point of of building relationships and knowing individuals and and knowing how people tick and and what yeah, you can do to get definitely. the best from them. Definitely. Um, so moving on, then, what advice would you give to a coach? who might have just started in their journey or might be an experienced coach that is looking to get into academy football? What kind of things did you do yourself um, to to get into academy football and what tips could you give anybody yeah. else uh, to do the same? The first thing I'd say is is get experience. Don't, uh, don't run before you can walk. Um, so get out there, get as much experience as you can. Um, whether that's grassroots football, whether that's men's football, working with different age groups, working abroad. Um, in terms of my own experience, I went and worked abroad um, in America. Um, I came back. I've worked grassroots football. I've worked fa- so I've worked foundation phase, YD phase, um, and I've also worked men's first team football. Um, I went into a different different environment into performance analysis. So. I looked at that side of the game and how, how that can be implemented, uh, whether that's in first-team football, academy football, whatever that might look like. So experience is key. Um, and don't think that... I I see some some coaches sometimes on social media that are looking for, looking for the next step in my coaching journey. Well, what experience have I got? Well, nothing. I've just come out of uni. I might have just passed my level two or I might just have passed my my B licence, right, I want to get into academy football. I want to get into pre-academy. Um, spend the hours on the grass because that's where that's where mistakes will be made uh, and you want, to, you want to make mistakes because that's part of the learning process. It'll help you learn as, a, as an individual, as a coach, as a person. So gain that experience. Um, put the hours in. Put the hours in. And your opportunity will come if, if you... If you put the hours in, you you will get recognised, and an opportunity an opportunity will come up. Um, the second the second thing I'd probably say is as as difficult as it is in a football environment, I'd say work, don't be afraid to volunteer and work for free. Um, so if you're if you get offered an opportunity to go into a pre academy setting, um, and then they say, right, well, you've, you've got to work for you've got to work for free. You've got to kind of earn your stripes. Be prepared and do it, because the rewards at the end is that you get an opportunity, whether that's as an assistant coach, as a lead um, for an age group. So, if you do the best job that you can do when working when working for free and when working in that setting, then you'll be rewarded with it later down the line. Um, and then probably. The final thing I'd say is just enjoy enjoy what you're doing. So a big thing for me is that 
yeah, I can have all the knowledge in the world. I can go through all my qualifications. I can, I can try and get all the way to the to the top. Which, yeah, that's personally what I want to do. But it takes time. So you've got to enjoy where you're at at the moment. You've got to enjoy your the stages of learning that you're going to go through. You've got to be prepared to make mistakes. You've got to be prepared that people are going to criticise you. Um, you. You're going to be prepared that, yeah, you're going to get some praise, but then you might get knocked down a peg or two. So you've got to make sure that you're enjoying what you're doing. Um, and it is a, it, it's a long process to get to your end goal. Um, so you've got to be prepared to work for it because you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of coaches that have all got a certain qualification that are all fighting for minimal positions. Um, so you've got to be you've got to be able to be prepared to to wait and and earn your stripes. But yeah, love what love what um, love what you do, and you'll never work a day in your life, as they say. Yeah, definitely. I'll also add to that as well. Um, it's important, I feel personally, that to, to network and to get to know other coaches and, and as you're kind of earning your stripes, as you put it on the grass, um, build relationships with, with other people and, and get to know different types of people. Um, and it does yeah, get you a long point. way in football. Um, I think I think on that, so, on that George, finally, yeah. I think one of the things that, that stood me in some... Well, it did. It stood me in good stead. When I first went in... Um, when I first went into the academy in the first year. And again, looking back at, at my journey, I was quite fortunate that, that at this stage um, that I joined Fleetwood, they were going from Category 4 to Category 3. There was an opportunity in there straight away for age group coaches. Um, obviously, I had to go in and, and kind of earn my stripes. Um, but in my first two years, I volunteered for the older, se- older session with the YDP. So I was actually... I was doing the under 11s, um, but then I volunteered. I volunteered to stay on with the 15s and 16s, not because I wanted to get in with the 15s and 16s, but I had the chance to work with some fantastic coaches um, that st- that gave me knowledge, that gave me experience, that that gave me all the things that we've spoke about um, in terms of working with players. So that that for me, that for me, probably put me in the position that I'm, I am in today. Uh, and I'm no nowhere near a, a final destination, um, but that experience and support is, is right now, which is which is good, which I'm happy with. Brilliant. Which brings us on nicely to our, our next question. Um, so, who would you say in your in your coaching journey has had the biggest influence? on your coaching and and why so it could be another coach it could be it could be anyone who's had the biggest influence what on you great question and why um, i've got three people that spring to mind straight away so i'll uh, i'll briefly if that's all right i'll briefly go through them all um in terms of my playing journey um my playing journey was a, a personal one it was my granddad um so my granddad's kind of t- took me to games uh, gave me loads of encouragement um always nailed me about never using my right foot because I was a left footer. Um, yeah, so always put the pressure on me. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of, he was a big motivation in terms of getting into football and wanting to succeed in football. Um, so that was, that's a one in terms of um, playing. In terms of coaching, I've probably got two. Um, I've got one, uh, one slash two academically. So when I was at UCLan, 
Um, I had some really, really good tutors that that gave me a wealth of knowledge that I'm still in contact with now um, that helped me both academically um, and practically. And then actually from a, a football background. So the first one was Stu Wilkinson. So Stu's from a rugby background um, and he was one of my mentors during my second year and third year at uni. Um, Stu's got great experience of working in academy settings and national settings um, for rugby. So that was the first one. And then the second one uh, was John Stokowski. So John um, John was a really good academic Um he was my mentor in my third year at uni and his big advice to me was one, you've got to work hard, um, but two, put put the time and effort in into improving. And kind of the message that I said at the end um, around putting that yeah. time in, he was kind of a massive advocate for um, that you've got to be able to do that to, to get to where you want to get to. Um, and then in terms of in terms of coaching, it's actually someone that works at Fleetwood at the moment. So um, Wilesy, um, Simon Wiles is a or was slash still is. Um, he, he's been a massive help to me. So the first year when I went in and worked the late sessions, he was the under 16s coach. Um, and then from that from that Wiles, he's gone on to be YDP lead, um, and now he's having a really successful year with the under 18s. Um, so, in terms of in terms of Wilesy's impact on me, um, I've not come across a coach that's uh, so far that's better better at building relationships with players. Um, so I'm sure he'll he'll back me up when I say this, but he's massive, massive, massive on building relationships with players and the impact that that can have, um, and basically giving them giving them ownership um setting standards set, setting high standards expectations setting goals all all that side of it um and i picked up probably i'd say most of my most of my practical and on the grass stuff um has been has been kind of developed through Wilesy's work that he's done uh, so i've been quite fortunate to to work and observe him over the last couple of years while i've been at fleetwood so Good. Good. So it's kind of answered my next question already. But the next question was, um, who who's the best coach that you've you've had the experience of, of watching live or or yeah. working with, and and why? Uh, so is, is, yeah, yeah. Is Wiles is definitely definitely the best that I've uh, I've worked with and watched. Um, in terms of in terms of additional support, um, Stu Delaney. I, I, I spent a lot of time watching Stu. Uh, so Stu's the FA educator for Fleetwood. Um, so I spent a lot of time with Stu going through my qualifications, learning from Stu, sitting down, having having coffees with him, talking the game. Um, so Stu's been a been a massive one, uh, and still is. I still look to learn from him whenever I can, uh, whether that's webinars, whether that's going out and watching him coach, um, whether that's him coming into the club. Um, and then um, the second one from that second one is uh, Pete Sturgis. So I was fortunate enough, and I, I'm I'm sure you'll back me up on this, Jordan. I've been fortunate enough to watch uh, Pete a couple of times in terms of the work that he does with the foundation phase. Um, Pete's work's excellent, and he really kind of brings out 
everything that the foundation phase is about and everything that we spoke about with the foundation phase. Um, so from that, I love to go and to go and watch him. Um, and then if I'm jumping across to an education setting, uh, Chris Bramble's a massive one. So Chris Bramble's again, he he Chris works for the FA as our uh, support educator. Um, Chris has got a, a wealth of knowledge around primary PE. Um, and whenever I get the opportunity to, and I've been fortunate enough to work with him um, quite a few times delivering CPD events, um, Chris is always someone that, that I look to learn off. So, yeah. Brilliant. Good stuff. Some some top names in there. So, <laughs> finally, yeah. before I can let you go, um, I just want to ask you one more question. So, is there anyone in particular you would recommend that we can get Ooh, on the podcast great, uh, for future episodes? Um, well, what? Wilesy's definitely one. Uh, I'd uh, where possible, I'd, I'd get Wilesy on, um, and then I think I think um, if if we're looking to if we're looking to keep it in Fleetwood, um, I'd probably look if if we're looking at a foundation phase specific one, I'd probably look at getting uh, Mike Corlin, the foundation phase lead at Fleetwood. Um, he's done some great stuff at the moment on his AYA around the social corner. So that, that might link quite nicely to to what we've touched on today in terms of the foundation phase. Um, and then if we're looking if we're looking at, at branching out, I've listened to, to quite a lot of stuff uh, with Jack Walton um, from the FA. And I've also listened to quite a lot of stuff from Matt Craddock um, from Preston North End. So they, they'd be two that I'd definitely advise advice trying to gain all right brilliant yeah not a problem so thanks for your time ash um it's appreciated i'm sure everyone listening has took a lot of golden nuggets as you said from this um i certainly have um how can our listeners find you on on social media if they wish to so my twitter handle is straight up ash moreau so a-s-h-m-o-r-e-a-u um uh, Moreau. <laughs> Can you pronounce that? <laughs> yeah, so you'll uh, you'll find me on Twitter there, um, talking uh, talking coaching on that, everything coaching on there, um, trying to link in with as many people as I can. So please be sure to to give me a follow, and we can we can chat all things coaching. Thanks for that, Ash. Make sure you go and follow Ash on social media, and you can find us at Planet Coach across all platforms. If you found this episode on the podcast interesting, please make sure you hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen to us. You can find more information about our membership option on our website, which is www.planetcoach.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I will see you on the next episode.